0: Well, uh, welcome everyone to worship, and wherever you're joining us from, whether it's online or at one of our campuses, we're really glad that you're here. Hey, I'm curious, what part does prayer play in your walk with Jesus Christ? As you think about yourself as a spiritual person, a person of faith, I wonder what priority prayer has. You see, I think that most Christ followers really get the fact that prayer is important. One survey showed that 76%, that's a lot, of the American people say that they practice prayer, 76%. Over 50% said they pray every single day. Now, I, I, I think that's... Pretty impressive. But I think that most of us as followers of Jesus would admit that our prayer life is not as effective or efficient or faithful as we want it to be. One poll asked American Christians, hey, what do you want to most hear about when you go to church? And the number one priority on the list that people wanted to hear about was how to make prayer more effective. So that's where we're going today. I wanna talk to you about powerful prayer, and we're looking today at what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew chapter six. Let's look at it together and then spend some time unpacking it. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, if you have a good study Bible, you probably have a footnote right there somewhere over in the margin or at the bottom of the page that says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, is not in the oldest manuscripts. And that is true. In fact, that phrase does not appear until the late second century in any ancient manuscript of the New Testament. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't have good theology. That doesn't mean it's wrong for us to pray it. In fact, I'm gonna keep on praying it when I pray the Lord's Prayer. But I just want us to be clear it was likely not a part of the original teaching of Jesus. Now, we call this the Lord's Prayer. That's okay. But it's really more of a model prayer because I'm contending today that found in this prayer is a formula, a formula, a model, a structure, a template for truly powerful and effective prayer. And if you're like me and you want to grow in your prayer life, I believe that God has some things to teach us today. Now, here's our problem when we face a passage. Can I just tell you the problem we have today? We've heard this so often, haven't we? We think we kind of know all about it. In fact, Millions of Christians, millions of Christians will recite this prayer today all around the world as a part of their worship liturgy. I have done funeral services, graveside services where I will invite everyone standing around the graveside to pray the Lord's Prayer with me, and I'm shocked every time I'm stunned. Even people that I know are not church attenders can usually mouth the words to the Lord's prayer. But our problem is, when we're so familiar with something, we may not be open to learning new things about it. So with ears to hear, let's go into some new territory today. And I I want us to look, first of all, at the first part part of the prayer, which is a focus on God, and then the second part, which is a focus on us. So let's dive in together. First of all, the focus on God. If you were to ask me, Pastor Rex, what is one of the greatest problems with Christianity today as you see it, this would probably be my response. It is too human-centered. Now, that's a sweeping statement, but I'll stand by it. By and large, Christianity today, at least in our culture, in the United States of America, is a little too humanistic. Here's what I mean. Millions of people come to church with the attitude, with the attitude, God, what have you done for me lately? Because you exist, you exist to meet my needs. Now, they might not ever say it that crassly, but clearly the mentality of many professing Christians is that God is all about meeting our needs. And I hope I don't have to tell you that is completely twisted. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. God cares about us. I mean, my goodness, Jesus came on a rescue mission to save us from our sins. Yes, God has a plan for our lives. All these things are true. But Jesus taught, if you really want to be effective in prayer, you don't begin with your laundry list and bring it to God. You begin by focusing on God himself and the character of God. That's where it all begins. Let's look at verse nine again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed means to revere, to reverence, to recognize God's holiness. And so right up front in the prayer, we're introduced to one of the greatest balancing acts in the Christian life. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. We have to balance these two aspects of who God is. Let's put the words on the screen here, eminence versus transcendence. Don't let the big words scare you. Let me explain what they mean. The word eminence, when it's spelled with an A rather than an I, an I has a different meaning. When it's spelled with an A, it means closeness and accessibility. And that's what Bible teaches about God, that God is near us, that he is close, that he's accessible, that he understands us and he cares. But we have to balance that with the fact that God is transcendent. What does that mean? God is holy beyond us. Jesus said, Our Father in heaven. The Apostle Paul said, He lives in unapproachable light, whom no one can see or can see. We're talking here about the creator of the universe, one who is so beyond us, we can't begin to imagine who He is in all of His fullness. And so there you have it. In your life as a disciple, You have to balance both of those. And if you forget that God is imminent, here's the thing, you won't bring your concerns to him. You'll think, oh my goodness, God's got bigger fish to fry than my problems. I mean, he's got poverty and racism and all these world problems to deal with and the economy, my little needs don't matter at all. And if that's your conclusion, you're absolutely wrong. This is the staggering thing about God. Although he is the creator of the universe, he cares about our needs. But if you forget God's transcendence, then you'll become a little too chummy with God. You'll use phrases like the big guy upstairs. And you'll forget that God is awesome in his holiness. So a healthy disciple Balances both of these aspects of who God is. And it's very important that we keep that balance there. Now, let's unpack this idea that Jesus used, this word he used for God. You remember what the word was? He said, Our Father. Now, occasionally I'll read in a book that Jesus introduced a revolutionary idea about God that he is father as though that were the first time it was ever mentioned. That is absolutely wrong. Jesus wasn't revealing something new here about God as father. That is a common reference in the Old Testament Just so you know, I'm not crazy in making this up. Let me give you a few examples of that. We read in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Is this the way you repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father? Now, the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy is a part of that. That was the earliest, the oldest part of the Jewish scriptures. So all the way back there, God was already being referred to as father, but it continued. We read, for instance, in the book of Isaiah, but you are our father, though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father. So the prophets also came along and taught God is our father. Jeremiah, the prophet, put it like this. I thought you would call me father and not turn away From following me. And so in their ancient worship, they worshiped God as the Father. Psalm 68 describes God like this, a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. And I love the way Psalm 103 describes God. I was just meditating on this Psalm actually earlier this morning, in some prayer and meditation time, look at how it characterizes God here. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now, why do, why do I give you all those scriptures? I know that's a lot. I simply want you to see that Jesus wasn't introducing A whole new idea here, but the idea of God as father was already very much a part of the Jewish mindset and culture. And they prayed to God and they worshiped God as father. So it wasn't bizarre at all. When the apostle Paul comes along later and writes to the Corinthian Christians, look at this, he makes this statement, there is but one God, who is he? The father. One God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. So if you're a Christian today, God is your Father. And that is an awesome thing. Now, some of you are thinking, whoa, that's kind of hard for me to embrace. And the reason you're thinking that perhaps, perhaps, is because you know what? Maybe you never had an earthly father, maybe he was never in your life or was absent or aloof, or uh, others of you even even worse, more than just absence, maybe your earthly father was downright abusive to you and mean-spirited or perhaps he was drunk or just addicted or perhaps he, all you know is just horrible feelings when it comes to an earthly father. So I can understand if that was your experience, how hearing that God is father might be very difficult for you to embrace. But here's the good news. I know so many people that are part of this church family who had less than stellar earthly fathers, but you know what they've discovered? That God is nothing like their earthly father was. Amen, Amen? that's good news. They're discovering They're discovering what a true father is is like what a true father is meant to be. And I thank God for that because he is revealed in Scripture as a loving, heavenly father. Look at how the Apostle Paul puts it later in the book of Romans. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba. Father, Abba is this Aramaic term and the closest English equivalent is is daddy. It's a a term of endearment. And Paul also writes in Galatians chapter three, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Whether you're male or female, you are a child of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus, and wow, that is something worth celebrating. But let me share with you a sobering reminder, because we're called to keep it real. If you are not a disciple of Jesus, if you have not repented of your sin, if you've not yielded your life to God the Father, God is not your Father, See, there was a movement decades and decades ago in this country where people, even people in the church began to talk about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. Like, oh, you know, we're all just sons and daughters of God the Father. Well, not in a biblical sense. Not in a biblical sense. Watch this now. Jesus spoke to religious leaders in his day and he said in John chapter eight, you belong to your father the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. So I just want you to see that if we're keeping it real and honest, there's this clear distinction in scripture between children of God and children of the devil. Just one more verse about that. First John chapter 3, the apostle John puts it in very clear words. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Two categories. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So, let me ask you a personal question today. Is God Almighty your Father in heaven? Do you know him? In those kind of intimate Abba kind of terms, do you look to him as your source, the source of every good thing you have in life. If you do, you're always going to be balancing those two aspects of who God the Father is. He's imminent. He's close. He's close enough to care about your every need today, but he's also transcendent. He has the power to do something about it. And that's one of the reasons I love being a follower of Jesus, because we serve a God who doesn't just talk, but it's just a bunch of smoke and mirrors. He actually has the power to make a difference in our lives. And scores and scores and scores of men and women and young people at Grace have discovered all of that in God, their heavenly Father. But Jesus goes on, no, we not just talk about the character of God or pray with the character of God in focus, but then we focus on the kingdom of God. He goes on in Matthew 6 and says, Your kingdom come. Now, what do we mean when we pray, Your kingdom come? Whatever else it means, it means, My kingdom go. Right? If I'm really praying for God's kingdom to come, there can't be two kings in the kingdom. Just room for one king. So if I'm on the throne of my own life, this isn't working. I've gotta put my little kingdom agendas aside and pursue his kingdom. And so that's who the church is. The church is the bunch of people who are in process who are praying for God's kingdom rule to be obvious and present in our midst. I think of us like a construction site. Perhaps you've had a home that was a fixer-upper. You ever ever lived in a house that was a fixer-upper? Some of you have one right now that's like that, right? Well, it's a funny thing about that. When you have a fixer-upper kind of house, it's like living in a construction zone, right? Right? Things are always changing. There's always something in process. And that's the way the church of the living God is. We're not who we once were, but we're not yet who we're going to be. So I hope, church, you understand, we pray for God's kingdom to come. We are praying that God's kingdom rule would be evident in our midst And I believe that the more Jesus reigns in our midst, the more powerful our testimony is gonna be. Oh, I love the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter four, we read about how Peter and John were arrested and chastised for preaching the gospel publicly. And they were told, don't you dare preach again about this Jesus. And after that, the church went to prayer And they didn't pray that they would be exempted from punishment or hardships. No, 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 no. Their prayer, if you read it carefully, it's all about the kingdom to come. They wanted God's kingdom rule to be manifest in their midst. They prayed that God would give them power to testify boldly, and that God would do miraculous things in their midst. And then we read in Acts chapter four, verse 31, after they prayed, whoo, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's what happens when God's kingdom comes in our midst. It's not a political kingdom. It's not one that you're gonna see with your eyes with a bunch of you know, structures where everybody will go, yeah, that's it, no, no. It's God ruling and reigning and having his way in our lives. And the very next verse goes on to say, all the believers, this is what happens when God's kingdom comes, right here. You wanna know what that'll look like when God's kingdom comes? This is it, right here. They were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. In other words, they had a very generous spirit, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. So when we pray, your kingdom come, that's, that's what we're praying for, that there would be this powerful testimony coming out of the church, that there would be this harmoniousness among us and that the young and the old wouldn't be bickering against each other and the black and the white and the Asian and the Hispanic and the rich and the poor and the educated and those who haven't had the privilege of education and the New York Giants fans. Oh, Jesus. And the New England Patriots fans, Lord, help us God, would get along and love each other and serve God together. That's that's what happens when God's kingdom comes in our midst. And then he adds another phrase to it. We're to focus on the will of God, the will of God. Let's look at the next phrase in the prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now listen, listen, listen carefully right here. Just as God has a corporate will, For his church, listen, whoever you are, God has a personal will and plan for your life personally. Oh, I hope you know that. And the problem with us is that our sinful human nature wants to resist God's will for us. I actually had a young man confess to me years ago. He said, Pastor Rex, I wanna get married, but I'm, a, I'm afraid to pray for God's will to be done in a mate. I want this wonderful woman to come in my life, and I'm afraid if I pray for God's will to be done, he's gonna give me some very homely-looking, boring woman. I said, man, I appreciate your honesty, but nothing could be further from the truth. The Scripture In Romans 12 said that God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. Doesn't mean your life will be exempt from pain, of course, but it means that ultimately God has your good in mind and his glory at the same time. So so let me just pause right here. Just push pause for a moment before we flip the coin over and start looking at our needs. And let me ask you, Do your prayers kind of begin with praise and worship and and adoration of who God is, his character, his kingdom, and his will? Or, Or do you kind of rush into God's presence, as it were, with your laundry list? Gimme, 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 you exist for me. That's why you're here. What have you done for me lately, God? No, 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 no. God cares, but Jesus taught us that powerful prayer doesn't begin there. It begins with a focus on God, all right? So with that as a base, let's flip the coin over now and very, very quickly, let's talk about the focus on us because as I've said now two or three times, God deeply cares about us And our needs. First of all, let's talk about present needs. Jesus went on to say in Matthew 6 Give us today, this is what he taught us, give us today our daily bread. Now, if there was ever a prayer that seems irrelevant to most people listening to me right now, it would be that prayer. You know why? because your cupboard is full. You've got a freezer loaded with food. You have access to food. You have supermarkets, shelves laden with abundant supplies of food. Give us today our daily bread. I mean, come on, what is that about? What is God asking for here? I believe God is asking for a daily bread humble spirit of dependence on him and acknowledgement that he is the source of all these good things in our lives. So let me ask you, do you walk the floor with anxiety? Wondering if your financial portfolio is gonna be adequate to handle you into the future? Oh, I get it, I get it. In a stock market like we've had the last year and a half, I could see how you would feel that way. But see what God wants us to trust in is not the stock market, but our transcendent, eminent, heavenly Father. This gets real personal, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. This this gets this gets super personal here. Where are we really trusting God to meet our needs, or are we eaten alive with worry? God wants us to have a spirit of trust and dependence in him. It's a theme throughout the scriptures for our present needs, emotional, physical, spiritual, all of our needs. He wants us to look to him. But then he talks here about past needs, past needs. And this is where he makes the statement in Matthew 6 Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, your translation may say trespasses. Uh, And of course, that's what it means. It's talking here about our sins. And here's here's the deal. We all have sins that need to be forgiven. But the other side of that is we all have people in our lives who've hurt us and let us down and disappointed us that we need to forgive. So when you pray this prayer, I mean, this is radical. You're praying, God, I want you to forgive me in exactly the same way that I forgive those who've sinned against me. Really? Woo. In fact, He goes on to say in verses 14 and 15, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, 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 if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, next Sunday, we're gonna unpack that. I don't want you to miss that. That is one of the richest passages of Scripture in all the Bible. And boy, you talk about a passage that's pertinent and relevant to our lives, that is it. We're gonna unpack that important topic about forgiveness. And some of us today are stuck. We're stuck spiritually, emotionally, and in our growth with Christ because there's a lot of forgiveness issues. And we've been trying, we've been working. It's not that we've ignored it necessarily, but we need to learn how to get that breakthrough. I think next weekend is gonna be the key to that, I don't want you to miss it. So we have talked about our present needs, our past needs, and then finally, our future, our future needs. Jesus says here in Matthew six, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. People often ask me, pastor, does God lead us into temptation, does God, Tempt us? And I think the answer in Scripture to that is, I think the answer is pretty clear. James, the Apostle James, in his little letter, writes this in James 1. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, catch this phrase, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. God God doesn't lead us into temptation, but what we're saying here is, Lord, deliver me from the evil one. I ask, Lord, that you would not allow me to be overwhelmed with temptations from the evil one so that I can be strong and faithful for you. I wanna go full circle right now. How would you describe your prayer life? Is it healthy? Is it vibrant? Samuel Chadwick, a great leader of the past, said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. If you're, not, if you're not pleased with your prayer life, if you sense, you know what, it's not what I know it needs to be, I urge you today to make a choice. Draw a line in the sand. Let today be the day that you started. And I'm gonna tell you, here's the key now. Here's the key, this is profound. Here's the key for you to learn how to pray. You wanna know how to pray? You wanna learn how to pray? pray. Thank you very much. God bless you. I'm glad you're here. Pray. Pray. There's no bells and whistles. There's no rocket science involved in this. It's not this big complex thing at all, at all. You want to learn how to pray? Pray. And you will learn as you practice prayer someone wrote this prayer. I really love this. I want to thank you, Lord, for being close to me so far this day. With your help, I haven't been impatient, lost my temper, been grumpy, judgmental, or envious of anyone. But I'll be getting out of bed in a minute. And I think I'll really need your help then. And so we do. I'm so glad, I'm so glad that Jesus revealed to us a heavenly father who welcomes our prayer, who says, I'm dying to meet with you. Come to me with your concerns. He's imminent, he's close, he's accessible, but he's also transcendent, big enough, sovereign, powerful enough to do something about it. That's the God to whom we pray. Father, oh, I thank you. I thank you that you are the sovereign, holy, transcendent, eminent, glorious Father that Jesus revealed to us and that the light is green when it comes to prayer. You've said, come on, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. You've told us, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Thank you for that. And Lord, we all wanna grow in our prayer life. I pray that today would be a day of new beginnings and that we would learn to pray by praying. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.